Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime on Money FM 89.3. You're with Bharati Jagdish, Timothy Go, and Chua Tian Tian. And time now to catch up with our friends at the BBC. Rob Hugh Jones joins us. He's editor at the BBC Partner Hub. And we're going to be talking about some of the global headlines and stories that you should be watching this week as well. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Nice to be with you. Welcome back. We haven't spoken to you in a few weeks, but we're talking to you now as a major court case opens in Belgium's capital, Brussels. This is a very high-profile case related to the terror attack in Brussels in 2016. Tell us more about this. Yes, that's right. So if you're looking for, you know, top European stories today, this certainly figures amongst them. It's certainly in the very top of the European uh, headlines. And so what's happening six years, as you say, after that attack in Brussels, some of your listeners may remember, 32 people were killed, hundreds were injured when suspected jihadists uh, attacked a metro station and the city airport in Brussels. And of course, Brussels is the headquarters of the European Union, the beating heart of the EU. All the EU institutions are there, as is NATO, the military alliance. Uh, so for the, for the city airport, the busy city airport to be attacked in particular, uh, was really a very big story watched all over the world and watched particularly in France because, uh, don't forget, four months before that, in November 2015, uh, there were those attacks in Paris which killed some 130 people, uh, the Bataclan Centre and, and Sports Stadium and so on um, uh, amongst it. And there are links between that case and this one in Belgium. So what we're seeing today is the trial in Belgium, there are something like 196 plaintiffs or people who have brought cases against the suspected jihadists who, took to, who, who did all of this. And uh, some of whom, by the way, have uh, are thought to have died in the interim. So it's unclear quite how many people will actually turn up in court. And uh, by the way, the court itself is being held at an old uh, NATO HQ uh, in Brussels and is, uh, you know, supremely well fortified. Soldiers are patrolling the streets around and all that sort of thing. So this is a very big uh, court case opening today in Brussels and being watched very definitely here in Europe, but uh, also around the world. I'm sure analysts and commentators are talking about this, how it might end, the various scenarios and possibilities. What can you tell us? Well, I think looking at the links between the Paris and the uh, the Brussels attacks will be very interesting. There's a uh, 32-year-old French ringleader called Salah Abdel Slam. Uh, he is serving a life sentence in France for his involvement in the Paris attacks. In fact, he's the only surviving attacker. Uh, he says he had a change of mind. He threw his suicide vest away rather than detonate it. But it was later discovered that the suicide vest was actually defective. And so pros- prosecutors say, no, no, he didn't have a change of heart. And he's, you know, he's, on, he's online as saying... Uh, I'm a soldier of the Islamic State group and all this kind of thing. Um, so it would be very interesting to see what links did he have, what, what links were there between that uh, survivor of those attacks uh, and what happened in Brussels, because there are definite links between the two. And I think this case is expected to be six to nine months in length starting today, mm. and I think all of these sorts of details will come out and we'll, we'll certainly be hearing all about them. Right, some 370 experts and witnesses are going to be involved as well, and it's going to be costing them quite a bit, 35 million euros. 
Yes, but of course it was such a big yeah. case. You know, I think the uh, the public would expect uh, something to be looked at very, very carefully. This was the sort of Euro- the, these attacks were the European kind of nine eleven. You know, and and think of the enormous cost that went into investigating what happened after nine eleven. Um, you would expect the Europeans to do something similar, um, and that's kind of what's what's happened. You know, let's 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 learn lessons for the future about our security, our police system, our different institutions uh, of security. Were they all talking to each other as they should have been at the right time? That's something that's come out in in other terror cases. What one in Manchester here in Britain? So you know, I, th- I think there's a, there's plenty of public support. I think for what's going on here and and just how forensically it's all being done. Something else that's been making headlines in the UK where you are. You are expecting strikes across many sectors in the run-up to Christmas. Well, that's right. And actually, somebody sent me a bar chart on on uh, WhatsApp this morning mm. uh, called Festive Fallout. And in different colours, it shows that there are different strikes going on in different sectors of the UK economy every single day between now and Christmas. And, uh, and if you look at the range, well... Uh, the trains, you know, we've got four big strike days between now and Christmas, traditionally a very busy time of year for people using trains, um, at least four in, in our 14 private uh, train operating companies. That includes Eurostar, the train that links us with Paris uh, under the channel and the channel tunnel, uh, Paris, Brussels, Amsterdam and so on. Um, they're also holding strikes. But I think that the most notable is amongst health workers, because we don't normally see strikes in this country among doctors and nurses. But there are two uh, strike days by nurses uh, between now and Christmas. Um, they were offered 4.75% as a pay rise, but with inflation running at 11% uh, and nurse, nurses unions saying, uh, that in real terms, nurses have been making a loss over the, over the last few years, and they want even more than that. There is a real uh, battle being uh, waged between the nursing unions and lots of other unions, I should say, and the government of Rishi Sunak, the new prime minister. But it really is. It's not just, it's not just health. It's not just trains. It's the postal service. So if you want to send a Christmas card in this country... Uh, there are some reports that you, it will not get there by Christmas, even if you send it today. And that's because there are six postal strike, Royal Mail strikes between now and Christmas Day. So a lot of strike action going on in this country mm. and uh, real battle lines drawn between uh, the Labour Party, the main opposition, which is backed by the unions, and the Conservative government of Rishi Sunak. I'm sure negotiations will still continue, though, right? Yes, they'll still continue. And if you look at the government's position, Mm. uh, they say, look, we've set up an independent pay review body in the NHS, and they recommended a certain rise, and and the rise that we've offered nurses is broadly in line with that. So their their, uh, argument is that they've actually taken this out of politics and given it to an independent commission, and that they are following the advice of that commission. Um, They also point to the fact that nurses were given a 3% pay rise uh, last year because of their enormous uh, efforts over COVID and tackling COVID. So, you know, there, there are debates on either side here, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's pretty fierce. Mm. And all of this is coming amid a cost-of-living crisis. So this must be especially difficult at this time. What has the government been saying about resolving or at least helping in that regard while dealing with work stoppages? 
Well, that's right. So this all means that workers are seeing their living costs rising faster than their wages, uh, leaving them worse off. This is what's behind all of this. But if you listen to the government, I mean, we had the chairman of the governing Conservative Party on TV yesterday saying this is unfair. It's unfair to do this to the citizens of this country over the festive season when they, you know, when health services are used so much, when trains are used so much, when when the mail is used so much and so on. Um, So they're trying to paint it as the unions kind of uh, uh, playing Scrooge, if you like, over Christmas. Mm. Um, but, they're all, but they're also saying, uh, you know, we're doing what we can. And we, we don't, that, you know, one argument is we don't want to be playing into the hands of President Putin. Uh, this is one of the things he said, you know, that, that Russia and uh, Russia's invasion or special operation in Ukraine has driven to some extent a rise in energy prices, a rise in the cost of living, and that it's kind of out of the government's hands. You know, that's another argument that we're seeing and that this country should be unified against President Putin rather than divided in terms of strikes. So all sorts of arguments being kind of banded around. Mm. What are some of the stopgap measures that are being taken in order to at least get through this period in the lead up to Christmas and beyond? Well, very good question. One that we we heard the chairman of the Conservative Party saying yesterday that 2,000 members of the British Army are being trained up to uh, drive ambulances, for example. Mm. And the reason for that is that ambulance workers and paramedics are among those who have uh, balloted for strike action and want more pay. And so the army, we will likely see the army stepping in and trying to help out. And there are various other measures, you know, like that. Okay, let's hope that goes as smoothly as possible. Something else that's making the headlines. This coming Saturday, we'll see the Nobel Peace Prize being awarded in Norway. And this is going to actually feature prominent human rights activists from Ukraine, Russia and Belarus. Well, that's right. This is uh, very interesting because back in October, some of your listeners may remember the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, the most prestigious of prizes really around the world. Uh, around peace and human rights uh, was announced. And, uh, and what we're seeing this Saturday is the actual awarding of the Peace Prize uh, at a ceremony, a very glitzy ceremony in Oslo, Norway, attended by the Norwegian royal family, for example. But the, in- but the recipients are very interesting. One of them is called Ales uh, Baliatsky, and he is a prominent human rights advocate in Belarus. Now, Belarus is that country just to the north of Ukraine, And the guy that runs Belarus is Alexander Lukashenko, and he's often described as the last dictator in Europe. He's been running that country with an iron fist since the 1990s. And so if you're a human rights, a prominent human rights campaigner and advocate, you are standing up to a a pretty tough guy in that country. And that's what he's been doing. He's been documenting what he's, uh, his organization regards as, you know, war crimes and human rights violations and so on for a long, long time. He is one of the recipients. The Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties is one. And that's interesting because it reminds us that, of course, there was a war going on in Ukraine for eight years before President Putin invaded that country, the so-called Russian Special Operation, in February. And this organization has been documenting uh, what it perceives as human rights violations every single day of that war. Um, and so they get to share the prize, as do Memorial, which is the Russian human rights organization. And they're interesting because the Kremlin looked at their work and labeled them a foreign agent. Mm. 
and uh, and went so far as to even close them down. So bizarrely, they are an organization uh, very prominent in Russia in terms of monitoring human rights, who are receiving the Nobel Peace Prize, and yet they're actually uh, officially shut down by their own government. So those are the three, and of course very topical, um, that, that all three of them should be receiving this very prestigious prize. Thanks very much for that, Rob. Really appreciate your time today. Rob Hugh-Jones, editor at BBC Partner Hub. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.